electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Bubble or bonanza? What is the real story with AI stocks? Whether it's time to buy into the hype or not, we'll discuss and debate with the investment committee this hour. Joining me today, Josh Brown, Jenny Harrington, Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. Uh, Carl and Sarah were just talking about it. NASDAQ is the leader today. It's up better than 1%. It's not just tech, but it's certainly led by tech. Uh, so we're 134 to the plus side on NASDAQ. S&P 500 is up near one half of 1%. The Dow is down. Um, not a surprise that the NASDAQ, I guess, is, is leading. <laughs> you know, what do you do when you're a little uncertain uh, or bullish on AI? You buy tech. You run you buy the Nasdaq, fling. Unless your name is Jenny Harrington. Right. Then you buy Whirlpool or you buy Stanley Black and Decker. Right. And these are your two newest moves that you wanted to share with us and our viewers today. Let's go Whirlpool first okay. and then we can discuss. Okay. So I think it was interesting. Do you remember about a month ago, Goldman upgraded Whirlpool and I had a small meltdown because I said, oh, I've been working on this. I've been so close to buying it. They put out a really compelling bull case on it. But so what you have for both of these actually is a similar investment backdrop where they've got easing supply chain issues. They've got freight costs coming down. Inventories have been worked out. But most importantly, the share prices have dramatically corrected. Whirlpool's down 50% from its 52 from its all-time high, which was in 2021. Stanley's down 62%. So you have this company, Whirlpool specifically, where they're going to earn about $16 a share this year. They've got a 5.4% dividend yield, and the shares tra are trading at the same price they were at in 2013, when they were earn only earning $10 a share. And this really speaks to the market, right? It is a mixed up, bifurcated market where within sectors, within strategies, different stocks, everything's moving differently. And I don't want to buy something. I, don't, I would, I'm much more comfortable buying this at eight times. You know, with this big yield and this low valuation, earnings growth ahead as things normalize, mm -hmm. then I am buying something that's already up a lot this You're year. You're comfortable buying something where big ticket item demand remains, I think, a serious question. And we've heard it from CEOs who are selling big ticket items. So I think in this space, it's a little different because there's a less discretionary component to if your dishwasher breaks or your washing machine breaks, you have to buy that. So that's different than like kicking the can down the road or rather saying like, hey, I just want a new car because I want a new car. People don't go out and they're like, hey, I just want a new dishwasher. That'll be fun. So there's a different element to discretionary on this on Whirlpool than there is otherwise. The other thing is they had this earnings call. And what you really saw in the earnings call is that, um, is that demand is stabilizing. It's getting back to normal where it's not through the roof. And it was wild during the pandemic when you saw the share price just shoot up because it was like, oh, everyone's going to own a home. Everyone's going to need a new washer. That was, that was irrational. Okay, so Stanley Black & Decker, why that one? Aside so, from the 4% yield, which is the, the attraction, I'm sure, mm -hmm. but why? 
Well, here you have a dividend aristocrat that's paid and raised its dividend for 55 years. I have never been able to touch this company. And here you saw the same thing, a massive run up with pull forward in 2000, 2020 and 2021. And then the share prices, I think, have dramatically overcorrected. And they have overexpected a bad recession, a horrible consumer. But the reality is, is a lot of their business is done by contractors and they and work just continues. Even though we have really, really low new mortgage rates, low housing inventory, low housing turnover, work still needs to be done on homes. You know, like I have a DeWalt drill and the batteries were dead and I had to go online on Amazon the other day and buy new batteries. That was like 130 bucks. But you can't you can't get around without your drill. You know, you just you just need these products. And so, so yeah, I think they've overly corrected. Can you buy these stocks um, if you think there's going to be a more dramatic economic slowdown? Because I, I would suggest that you can't. And this must be representative of your view that you are more optimistic about the trajectory of the economy than others. I don't think that's true. I think it's my view that these have already overcorrected and accounted for a worse recession and a worse consumer than we're likely to actually get. Because it deba- because it- I do, sorry, I do expect that we're going to enter recession. I don't think it's going to be terrible. I think the whole rolling idea, the whole the whole divergence between sector and strategy, you know, has softened what we're going to get when we get the recession collectively. But I do expect that. And I bought them now because I don't think I'm going to get another chance. Wow. Okay. So these particular stocks then, in at least your mind, have priced in. That's what I think. A recession, which is, that's a controversial take in and of itself. What do you you say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I love these picks, but I want to address the recession call because let's just say we know my base case is that we skirt out without a recession, but most people who are calling for a recession are calling for a short, shallow one, right? One that we're out of in the first quarter of 2024. We know the market looks forward and here we are in May, soon to be June. I mean, the market is going to start looking forward to 2024. Now, this is not just a theoretical construct I'm coming up with. I think if you look at Home Depot, which obviously applies to Whirlpool and to Stanley Black and Decker, you know, you see that was a terrible report. Like, I'm not sure I can say enough bad things about how that report was two days ago. And yet the stock's up 2% from there. It's not on the back of that report and it's not on the back of guidance. I think it's on the back of, hey, if you do get a recession, it's going to be over by the first quarter of 2024 and housing's going to be growing. See, the other thing is, too, is though even and, and, and I've had some conversations recently with you know, I had one yesterday, for example, with a top level executive of a major financial firm who is pretty cautious, if not negative, on where the economy is going to go from here. And even that person says, well, even if we have a recession, I think it's going to be shallow. Nonetheless, there's the view that a recession, shallow or not, is still not priced into the market, either through earnings or price. Can I address that? Go. Because, and Jenny touched on I'd it. I'm sure she was going to go here, the bifurcated market. I mean, if you look at the S&P 500 overall, you would see the multiple and you'd say, nope, this isn't priced in there. If you strip out the seven stocks that are basically responsible for all of this year's gain, then the multiple comes down to something that, I'm not going to say it's cheap. I mean, that would be too extravagant. But definitely not, uh, it's definitely pricing in something, probably a short shadow recession. And you look at these sectors, even the beaten down financials, uh, industrials, energy materials, these multiples, these dividend yields, they do look forgiving if, this is the big if, that the recession is short and shallow and over by the first quarter of next so, year. So Josh, you know, what do you make if you had to score these this these moves from Jenny first? Jim has his own, by the way, A plus which, which we're going to get to. Um, but why don't you grade our trades here uh, <laughs> on this notion that AI has gotten all of the, the, the talk. 
the 13 Fs that are out are all about AI from the biggest investors in the world. One of Steve Cohen suggests he's bullish on the market as a result of AI. So what's your take? Uh, my take is I can't believe we just opened the show with Whirlpool in, yes. in 2020. What are, are we trying to get viewers to turn the TV off? What are we doing? Like seriously. First of all, it's the worst chart I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's been falling, it's been in free fall actually since May of 2021. So that's almost 24 consecutive months of lower prices, um, below its 50 day, below its 200 day. Uh, relative strength is 44. I'm not saying the stock can't make money as a long-term investment, but what what is the timing of this? I think the stock's going 30 points lower. Um, I could be wrong, but like, I'm just looking at where support is. Pre-pandemic, 2019 support is like 30 points lower than here. Most companies in this space have already completely round-tripped the pandemic. So I don't know what's going on here. Um, the good news is Stanley Black & Decker is actually worse than Whirlpool. In the meanwhile, here's what's happening. Here's what's, here's what's actually happening in the stock market today. OpenAI just released 86 plugins for ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. They literally just opened up the first ever generative AI app store. And this is not random weird things that uh, only a few nerds are gonna care about. They have actually launched all sorts of plugins to some of the most used apps in the world. Uh, everything from shopping, there's an a real time uh, market price app with Public. They did something with uh, Vox, they did something with Instacart, Toro. Uh, this is what's actually going on right now. So yeah. maybe let's like have a, have, a, have a redo and let's start with the stocks that are making all time record highs because that is where all of the attention of the market is currently focused and arguably should which, be focused. Which raises a very serious question, all jokes aside, for both of you. Um, you guys are really trying hard to find things that you think are beaten down enough, that can still work in a slowing economic environment. And I would suggest making it awfully difficult on yourselves um, where all of the action is about AI, where things are going, um, you're not so concerned at the moment about whether the economy might slow or not. This is a bigger picture view. Um, it's one of the reasons, as I mentioned, Steve Cohen's bullish on the market. And here you guys are, you know, trying to do these bottoms up. Well, I mean, I forget would, what the economy's doing picks. I would argue bathtubs, bathtubs. Okay, but I would argue that the proof is in the performance, right? And I know we're not allowed to talk about performance on the show, but what do you mean you're not allowed to oh, talk about performance? Like, Your own I performance? No, I'm not allowed to talk about that. Like the SEC comes down on you or whatever. Um, but like, I would argue that the proof is in the performance and the fact that we have excellent businesses and that we have clients who hire us and that we continue to make significant money for them using this strategy that works and buying companies that actually work, like that's actually where it comes out. If we wanna get into AI, you know, I've been in this business a long time, even though I look like I'm 17, I've actually been in the business for 30 years. And uh, haha, I know. Um, but I remember all the dot-com collapses. You know, I know you wanna get in on this too, but we, like, we have really selective survivor bias. And I think we're gonna see the same thing in AI. So you can say like all the hot talk is in AI, but I don't think the hot investments are in AI. When I think back to 97, when we were having these conversations about the internet, we've forgotten about AltaVista, GeoCities, Jeeves, CompuServe, Netscape. I know, but 
but we're not talking about those. We're talking about uh, the Alphabets, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Nvidia's. And they're trading at sky high valuations. Sky, they are. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I mean, you know, look, Nvidia. You can question whether Nvidia's valuation is justified in the here and now or not, but. Are, you're suggesting that a Microsoft, for example, or Alphabet is trading at a sky-high okay. valuation? They're in the Sky-high valuations were the ones that you're talking about from 1999. Those were crazy. But when we're talking about AI also and thinking like this is where it's so hot, where it's at, like, what kind of money? How is it actually going to drive their earnings? Stanley Black & Decker's forward P.E. ratio is 88. That's ridiculous. You're looking at 2023 earnings. If you look at 2024, it's 16 times. And if you look at oh, 2025, right. which is where you need to correct to, it's like eight, like so 12 So look times. at 2025 for Alphabet. Look okay, at 2025 so for Alphabet Josh? then. Let's, let's play, let's play fair, I'm just saying. Let's, let's they're just like, they're two different investments. No, but I think Scott is, I'm not. Styles. I think, I'm not trying to make it, it's not a fight. I well, think it it's. I, I think it's an absolute legitimate conversation now as to whether if you're underinvested can I say AI, one thing? Like, one thing on, really you quick. can in a minute. You can in a minute. Right. But if you're underinvested right. in AI-related stocks, if you're going to miss out, I'm not saying you are. I'm asking the question as to whether you might. The, I, so I think that's to me. Um, look, I really think this is a simple equation here of, of time perspective. And the styles of investing that we're talking about are different. Uh, Jenny and I have a long-term investing styles where we're buying shares of a business. Now, that's different than, hey, I'm in this just to see the stock price go up over a short period of time and then I'm going to flip it and get out. And you can make money doing that. That's fine. The style of investing that Jenny and I do is we identify good businesses. We determine what a fair price, what an intrinsic value of those shares is. What you think it is. Absolutely Nothing's true. Nothing's absolute what you think. I'm, I don't mean to be implying but that it's absolute. that's true for let me, let, me, let me finish the story here, though. By the way, this is what classic value investors do. The words I'm choosing are exactly what a Warren Buffett says, is when he's buying shares, he's valuing the company as if it were to be bought out in a third-party transaction. He looks at that value, and yes, Scott, there's subjectivity to it. Of course there is. Um, and then you look at the price of those shares. If they're trading at a discount, you ask yourself why. Does that mean that your thesis is wrong? Um, but if you come out to the conclusion that, no, your thesis is right, and these shares are dramatically undervalued, what you do, Jenny or me, is we buy them and we give them time. Now, in a moment like this, where AI and Microsoft and Apple and everything's going through the roof, I will admit, and I've said this before, I've said it on Tuesday, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for, for us. Sure. When Josh says what he does, by the way, Jenny, well, let me introduce you to Josh Brown if you haven't met him before. Um, but, you know, it's uncomfortable. But it doesn't mean that we should stop doing what we're doing because, as Jenny said, over the long run, it works. Josh, you wanted to say, um, and I was going to let you do it, and I'll let I, you do it I now, have but. a... I don't, I don't disagree with anything Jim said. And when market manias come along and you refuse to chase after uh, the carnival, a lot of times you end up having the last laugh because the vast majority of people like, like who are getting excited by AI. Yeah, listen, the vast majority of people who are getting excited about AI are going to be disappointed because it's probably a 10-year investment cycle and they want to make all the money this this week and next. And there are going to be a lot of fly-by-night companies and a lot of mistakes. So I don't disagree with that. But let me give you another perspective from somebody who is managing money for people and is trying to do so in such a way uh, that I'm not putting theory over the practical demands of the moment. The Qs are up 26% this year. Um, that's just about as good as they did in 2021 when they went up 
27%. While the Qs are up 26% this year, the diamonds, the Dow uh, ETF, is only up 2%. That is a huge divergence uh, in favor of growth and technology so far. I understand it's only May. It's the fourth highest outperformance ever for the Qs relative to the diamonds since the inception of these ETFs in 1999. That's really important. Go back to last year, it was the opposite. Mm -hmm. Last year, the diamond outperformed the Qs by 26%, which was the third highest percentage divergence positively for the Dow. So here's my point. In any given year, Growth investors will look better than value investors, and then maybe the following year, value investors. Why pick? Why play on a team? It's not necessary. And James uh, citing Buffett is laughable considering his biggest position is Apple, and he bought more in the first quarter, and it's 30 times earnings. It's the most expensive multiple on Apple in the last 12 years. He called you James because what? he wanted because to make this point. Does that mean he's really mad at me? Fat- no, I want you to, but how do you address today. that, though? Well, the, the point that, Josh, I think you were making, if I heard you correctly, I was a little stunned by the James, but let's keep moving forward, is that Berkshire owns a lot of Apple. No, well, fair point. Okay. I wouldn't say Buying by the more. Way, Buying but, more. Uh, okay, hold on. Let me respond. I, I heard what you said, okay? He also owns Coca-Cola. Not a value stock. Just... just Josh, calm down for Just a second. Just answer the question. Well, I can't. Right? He keeps Just interrupting me, all right? Coca-Cola, IBM, Bank of America. I mean, it's not like Berkshire. Ha- he owns Burlington Northern Santa Fe, Precision Cast Parts. I, I, I didn't want to get mad, which is he keeps interrupting no, but me. Now you're mad. Is, his point is that it's, it's his biggest position, and he continues to buy more at what you guys suggest is a outrageous valuation. My I, word I, I using think, outrageous. I don't think Apple's, out. I don't think Apple's you outrageous. Sky high. You said, I, well, Jenny said sky said high sky valuation. High because when something trades at 30 times earnings but and I, has mid-single digit growth, absolutely picking the exception. I mean, I'm not, first off, I own Berkshire, and exception, I know Josh does. You could say it's the rule. It's not it's the exception. It's the biggest holding. I honestly feel when all of you interrupt me like you're afraid of what I'm going to say. Just let me say it, okay? Say it's it. Berkshire Hathaway. It's the U.S. economy, which also includes Apple. I don't know how that's a counterexample or it makes me laughable, which was your word, Josh. It's Berkshire Hathaway. You own it. I own it. It's the U.S. economy. I mean, let's that's not an example that proves the point that AI is exactly where everybody needs the to conversation be. right now. And I think this is representative of, of, of what's happening is do you buy into the hype of AI or do you continue to do what you do? Do it well. What, OK. You. Do you continue to do what you do and ignore the hype? Or do you buy into it? When Goldman Sachs says AI could help push S&P 500 profits up 30% in the next decade, every day, new price target uh, goes but, up on one of these do days. do the math on that. That's annualized to 3% growth, a little bit less, Maybe right? it's conservative. Yeah, maybe it is, but it's also, it's just not as compelling as it says. Like, it's a better story than it is an investment. That's debatable, though. Why and does, only time will tell. Why does the biggest money in the market continue to buy these stocks? Really? Because I think that's behavioral and psychological. I think we're in a market where people got scared, and that's why we saw post-SVB money flow back to what was perceived as the safety trade. I don't think this is really about the math on the cash flows, because the math on the cash flows of those doesn't make that much sense. What is Alphabet's valuation? But What's its forward P.E.? We, 19. we throw that up there right now. What's its earnings growth so, rate? 19. Yeah, and what's its earnings growth rate? But you, and, but you guys would make the argument that you'll find better earnings growth elsewhere, even as 
these companies think that AI is going to be a significant earnings driver for them. Google Alphabet is the exception. So you'd rather buy something else than Alphabet at 19 times. Okay, I don't, I don't know. You know, when I went through the morning call, I did tell people, tell Kevin, that I was adding to Alphabet today. And that's the one exception where on that valuation and the cash-rich balance sheet and the cash flow generation, I can get kind of comfortable with that. You're adding to Alphabet today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, this, and I, I, I don't know if Josh agrees or not, but I For think, sure. you know, we were on Tuesday and we talked about this. Maybe we're in the middle innings of what's going to be a bubble. At some point, that bubble will correct, maybe even pop. I think if that happens, that Google's going to, Alphabet's going to be absolutely fine at this valuation. I'm comfortable buying it here. I think to the point that Jenny and, frankly, Josh is making when he compares the NASDAQ to the Dow is there are other places to invest. It's not that either of us are naysaying AI. It's just that there are other places to invest besides AI. Josh? I disagree. I think the tone is pedantic about, oh, it's all behavioral. That's why these other people are investing in tech stocks. It's not all behavioral. These companies are in a secular growth moment as potentially a massive human race changing technology wave is washing ashore and the world is changing. And I think some people understand that they're paying elevated valuations. And I think some people understand that they're taking higher risk than they would be taking buying the S&P. But they're doing it anyway, because that has historically worked out very well for people who have done it correctly. It's hard. It's not easy to do. If it were as easy as to say, oh, what's the P.E. ratio? It's higher than 15. Forget it. Like, if that were investing, we would have a very different show. Unfortunately, look at the R. Hold on. Hold on. Look at the R. Look at the R squared on Alphabet relative to its P.E. ratio. What's the next 12 months performance versus the S&P? There's no signal there. You can trust me. We ran the numbers. There's absolutely no signal there. Last thing. Let me share some other uh, 52 week highs with you today that are not NVIDIA. Chipotle, not AI. Uh, Booking Holdings, BKNG. Darden, definitely not AI. Uh, MasterCard, GE. Like these are, it's not, it's not just one big AI bubble and all these NASDAQ performers are like, um, you know, uh, being bought for behavioral reasons. There's other things going on. It's all I wanted to say. It's not a diss on anyone else's portfolio. I have all the economy stuff in my portfolio too. Josh, great point. Okay, seriously, that it is it is hard work. It is hard intellectual work, whatever your investing style is. Your point is well made. And I think what Jenny and I would say, I'll dare to speak for her, is our style of investing, which is different than what's going on with Microsoft right now, is also equally hard work. That thing that I went through, and this is Warren Buffett and this is Graham and Dodd, of trying to determine intrinsic value and determining why shares are trading at a discount. And then the hardest part, Josh, being patient. Being patient when, frankly, we've got you, you know, punching us in the face. I'll sit here. I'll I do it. Not punching you. I love you too much. Whole okay, I, yeah, I was speaking figuratively. Okay, um, is whether the Jenny and Jims of the world mm-hmm. are wondering to themselves whether they're underinvested 
in AI yes, moment. Yes, of course, because, because... And there are a lot of Jenny at, and Jims. No, I got it, but yes, I mean, who, it would be incredibly duplicitous to not answer that question, yes. Look at the NASDAQ, Josh did it, right? Look at the NASDAQ year-to-date, or frankly, over the last six months. NASDAQ's up, I had it up a second ago, 20%. You know what the Dow Jones Industrial is? Flat, over six months. So whatever this rally we're talking about off of the October lows, it's not in the traditional, you know, in Dow Jones Industrial Average stock. So, of course, we're feeling it. But that's part of the hardness of whatever discipline. Josh's investing, uh, Jenny's style of investing, my style of investing, is knowing what you're doing, being patient, and being able to take the punch when moments like this happen. One, sure, one last thing on this. One, one, one last thing on this. Do you know uh, what Ben Graham who, who millions of people base their philosophy on, on what the, the books that he wrote in the Great Depression. On his deathbed in the 1970s, his last remarks, which Jason Zweig has actually unearthed uh, at the journal, his last remarks were to the effect of, the stuff I was doing in the 1940s and 50s would not work now. That was 50 years ago in the 70s he said that. The reason is, things change. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't look for value. Everybody's looking for value. Even growth investors are trying to buy a dollar for 80 cents. That's not unique to people that have read Graham and Dodd. I just think it's important that we don't go overboard with formulas and, and automatically dismissing the behavior of others because they're buying things that we ourselves wouldn't buy. There is a possibility that we're wrong and other people are right. And that's all I'm trying to bring to the conversation. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we got a lot more ahead. We, we do have a couple of Jim's buys as well. Uh, he's added to a couple of stocks we haven't talked about yet. We're going to go through that. Uh, we also are going to talk about a stock on Jim and Josh's radar that's in a breakout right now. We'll talk about it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. I mentioned Jim had a couple of moves. Um, number one, you bought more of CVS. Tell me why. It's been a troubled stock. I mean, you can just look at the share price and see that. You know, what uh, What happened here is in the fall, they had this downgrade from the Medicare services on their uh, overall Medicare Advantage programs. That's going to be fixed over the next year. And when that when that happens, it should resume its upward march that it was on before that happened. Stock trades at eight times earnings, 3.5% dividend yield. But probably the most important thing is they've made a couple of acquisitions in the last few months. Uh, Signify, Oak Street, these are going to expand the way that from 
top to bottom, they treat patients' health care. Um, buying back shares with cash flow on hand, nice dividend yield, as I said. Again, to the earlier discussion, you got to be patient in something like this. And at moments like this where it's languishing, gives me the opportunity to add to okay. it. Okay, Qualcomm, you added more there, too. I mean, that's been a dud also. It's been a, it's been a royal pain in the tuchus. Do you ever look at any of these and say, you know, they're, they're, they're a pain for a reason? They've yeah, been down do. for a reason. Maybe yeah, they're not I just do. maybe they're not just attractive because they're down a lot. Yeah, no, I do. I do, Scott. Let me just short answer your question is I do. And I analyze and I say, okay, well, where do we go from here? You can't go back in time. Obviously, you're not suggesting that and replace it. But I look at this stock and the question is when does the handset market bottom? Uh, it's gotta be sometime soon. People are gonna have to replace handsets. We know China's reopening, that's gonna help. The automotive sector is growing very nicely for them, as well as the internet of things. Again, Dividend yield 3.1% allows me to uh, wait while I wait for these shares, or excuse me, get paid while I wait for these shares to recover. Um, patience, that's what I have to do. Not everybody is going to invest like I do. If you're listening to me and saying, I can't do that, that's fine. There's other things that you can do to make money in the markets. Over the long run, Qualcomm's been very good to me. I think it will be over the next long run to come. Okay, uh, the other stock you own, and I mentioned you and Josh do, uh, is Oracle, where, Josh, you declare today that the breakout in those shares is official. What do you mean? Um, this stock is, has now taken out its uh, pandemic-era tech bubble high, and I think from here there's probably very few people that have losses in the stock. What that does technically, it removes a layer of resistance, um, and the buyers are obviously firmly in control here. Uh, this coincides with news yesterday that they got approval uh, for FedRAMP, which is basically how a company like the Oracle cloud infrastructure business can um, work with government agents. It's a higher level of clearance that not every service provider gets. So the news flow is great. The customer wins are great. The cloud business is on fire. Nobody really thought of Oracle as a cloud business until about three months ago. You could see it in the share price. And now I think the stock can roll higher. So uh, it's a long time in the making this breakout, but it's finally here. You want to touch this one, too? I, I find this interesting from a style point of view. You know, go back a, a few years ago, this was a, a value tech stock, and it was kind of left for dead as everything else was rallying, really, in the last decade. Um, now, as Josh pointed out, it's rallying. It's got fundamental reasons and its cloud business to rally. But it's also becoming, it's attracting a new group of investors, not just value investors, but growth at a reasonable price investors. And I think that added sponsorship is going to keep the shares going higher at a valuation that's really not too expensive of it all. All right, straight ahead. Today's comeback kid, that's what we're calling. It's a stock rebounding, and that's from a 4% drop earlier in the session. Both Jim and Jenny own it. It's our chart of the day, and it's next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. 
That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we've had a lot of Fed speak already today. We have more, don't we, Steve Leisman? Yeah, Jim Buller talking to the Financial Times is saying that uh, he's inclined to back another rate hike. He says he has an open mind for that June meeting, but uh, he'd like to take out some insurance against higher inflation. And uh, Scott, this happens after Lori Logan, the Dallas Fed president, perhaps known as somewhat less of a hawk than Jim Bullard, saying that the data do not validate a June pause. She says we're not there yet when it comes to a pause. And it comes after Phil Jefferson this morning in the 9 a.m. hour gave a speech where he was kind of in the middle, kind of said, you know, inflation is too high. And what's happening, Scott, I think is important is all these Fed officials seem to be downplaying the banking stress. You remember the banking stress was the thing that was the uh, uh, concept that it would cause the economy to slow much further, cause inflation to slow further. And now we're just hearing less concern about that at this point. And that brings the focus back to inflation, brings the focus back to uh, raising rates. And I will tell you, I just want to give you a fresh uh, quote on this. The um, probability of a June rate hike is now 30 percent. It was up from 20 percent this morning. Still an odds on bet in the market for a hold at 70 percent, but inching up. And we're hearing several Fed officials, including Fed Governor Bowman last Friday, also hinted that she would uh, be, be inclined to raise rates. So I just don't think we can go into this June meeting at this point with still plenty of data to go. I don't think we can go into this June meeting, Scott, thinking that uh, it's an all clear on a pause. Oh, no, obviously not. Um, you know, the, the question, Steve, is whether the, the market is taking the Fed seriously enough. That's one question. And the other is whether the Fed is taking what's happening maybe underneath the surface or at least the fears of what might happen seriously enough in, in its own right in terms of commercial real estate, what still might be to come as it relates to the regional banks that they're so willing to apparently declare all clear. Yeah, and, and Scott, I have to report, I did talk to some bankers last night uh, at an event, and, and, and they did not seem overly concerned with what was going on, at least on their books. They feel like they have the deposit flows under control. They know they have to pay more. They know these are going to be difficult times to get through. Um, they would like some tweaks and help from the Fed in a, in, a, in a variety of ways. They were not happy about the idea of the Fed raising rates once again. But the idea being that you did not get a sense last night of a crisis. And I'm not hearing that again in the um, uh, in what Fed officials are saying as well. So they seem to feel like the worst is behind them. There could yet be additional bank failures. But uh, as you have been talking about, those regional bank stocks have been up the last couple days, and that's been something that's created a little bit of confidence there. So they're going to turn their head, their, their, their attention towards inflation unless they have a reason not to. And that credit issue you mentioned, it's still down the road, but I don't think it's going to stop the Fed preemptively from doing what they need, what they think they need to do when it comes to fighting inflation. Okay. Uh, Steve, good stuff. Thank you very much for bringing us those headlines from Pleasure. Jim Bullard. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Bertha Coombs has the headlines now. Bertha. Bertha. 
Hey, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening at this hour. President Biden arriving in Japan for this week's G7 summit. Biden kicked off his visit with a meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. The G7 summit comes amid China's assertive moves in the Indo-Pacific region as the world leaders are expected to discuss concerns about China's use of economic coercion at the summit. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission has sought information from two privately held companies as part of its probe into pharmacy benefit managers. The commission said the inquiry looks to highlight unfair practices among PBMs, which run prescription drug coverage for big clients. Among them are Cigna's Express Scripts, CVS's Caremark, and United Health's OptumRx. And Montana Governor Greg Gianforte signing legislation to ban Chinese-owned TikTok from operating in the state. This makes Montana the first U.S. state to completely ban the popular short video app. The ban is to take effect on January 1st and is almost certain to face legal challenges. Scott? Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Up next, gold is pulling back. One firm says now's the time to buy it, and they've got three reasons why. We're going to do that. We also have our chart of the day, as we said. Nice comeback for one stock. We'll do that coming up next. There it is, the chart of the day. It's Cisco. We'll show you an intraday chart. Take a look at that. It was down 4%. So, Jenny, on the back of earnings, we'll come back here from an early market decline. What do you make of that? Well, I think the initial knee-jerk on why it was down was that people were focusing on orders and not earnings. But really, you need to look at earnings here. And they were great. Revenues were up 14%. Earnings came in at a dollar versus 97-cent estimates. Um, outlook was good. They bought back shares. It's just they're just in a good spot right now. And they, you know, they're another one where the pandemic really dislocated and disjointed their business, and they're just starting to get to normal. So I think we're in a good spot. Yeah. Uh, stock hasn't done anything this year, as you know. Yep. Um, you're optimistic, though, in, in, in moving ahead based on what you heard in the quarter? Well, what you need, I mean, what we, this is a business that produces systems that we need, right? Like, CNBC couldn't work without Cisco's systems in the background. Gilman Hill couldn't work without their systems in the background. It's completely integral to our everyday life. So there's kind of like endless need for Cisco's systems. And I know I'm not being terribly eloquent here, but so it's not so much optimistic about what I heard on the call. It's optimistic about understanding this business for the rest of my life will be integral to our everyday operation and things are normalizing. Scott, you what I, I, you do it it. I do own it. I do own it. Scott, what I try to do with earnings in general is I try to read the earnings report first and then look at what the stock's doing, okay? Because if you look at what the stock's doing and then read the earnings report, you're going to read it with a different lens. Now, having done that last night, I looked at the report, I'm like, this is good. Everything's good. Everything Jenny just said. I looked at the stock down 4% and I started chuckling. Sometimes the market is just, you know, offsides, and I think that's what's happening here. The reason it went down is because, as Jenny said, orders. But when I say that uh, this is a good business, continuing with that theme, they have a backlog that they've built up over the last few years that in exact times like this, i.e. macro uncertainty, benefits them. They can draw down on that backlog during the second half of this year. As we've been talking about, if there is a recession likely to be short and shallow, they start building that backlog back up in 2024 for the reasons Jenny said. It's vital equipment. Why isn't the stock up then? if the earnings were so good? 
Well, I mean, the short answer is the orders. But that said, uh, I think the stock the stock market's getting it wrong today. I hope I made that clear in my earlier. Well, you discussion. made it. You, you made it. You did make it clear by suggesting, well, the stock shouldn't have been down four percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get you. Now it's maybe that was wrong, but why isn't it up? Give it time, Scott. Seriously, and I don't mean give it time like another year. Like give it time. This was a, I think, a very wrong reaction in the after hours last night in the pre-market. It's coming back. Give it time. All right, let's do our call of the day. I mentioned uh, three reasons to buy gold. That comes from UBS today. Central bank demand should remain robust. Broad U.S. dollar weakness supports gold. Rising U.S. recession risks may prompt safe haven flows. Josh, do you want to take it through your uh, Newmont position? Uh, yeah, I, I broadly agree with. I, so I don't think all three reasons will come true, but I broadly agree with the premise, like what would make gold work? The problem is. When you try to when you try to run a regression using like actual data, it turns out nothing predicts what gold will do, which is really frustrating. Neither inflation nor deflation nor unemployment. Like there there is no metric. Um, but what they're basically saying is one central demand uh, central bank demand should remain robust. All right, I buy that. It's a it's an unstable world. You have some players in Asia that want to make it run at being their own reserve currency. Fine. Uh, broad U.S. dollar weakness supports gold. I don't know if it'll stay weak. Uh, remember, the dollar doesn't trade absolutely. It trades as a pair of something else. Do we really think the euro is in that much better shape? Uh, the third one, rising U.S. recession risks. There are rising recession risks all the time. We've been waiting for this recession for almost two years now. So, uh, look, I think gold can work. I just don't know that you need these three reasons as your reason. I would focus more on the technicals. And technically, gold still looks like uh, it's it's under accumulation, and I think it's going to work its way higher. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. We're back on the half right after this. Santoli's here, our senior markets commentator for his midday word. Uh, what's on your mind? We have uh, yields up. Yes. Hawkish Fed speak uh, continues. Along with the NASDAQ 100 taking out the August high, at least intraday, and looking it's like it's getting a little stretched technically. If you just look at the straight-up RSIs, it's where we were uh, when you had these very short-term pauses in the last several months and going back to August. So that setup is interesting. The mm-hmm. 10-year yield actually is pretty much above where it's traded at any time since the SVB collapse. Uh, the, the, the Friday before that weekend when SVB went down, it was 3.7. It was three, and, and so now we're in the 360s. Uh, so, yeah, for, reacting to a, a firm patch in the U.S. economic data, uh, which, of course, is bringing the Fed conversation back, mm-hmm. maybe away from pause. Uh, more broadly, though, if, in fact, we do get some kind of a breather in the NASDAQ 100, then there's the tell for whether yesterday's broadening out of the rally is something you can fall back on or if it's uh, if it's a, a bigger downside reset. Still watching, uh, obviously, for any debt ceiling yeah. uh, highlights, headlines, or the any, anything of that nature. The market's quickly trying to rush to a place of, we got it. 
I think. I mean, it, it, not to say that there's nothing left for relief if we, uh, you know, as we wait for some formalization uh, that there's going to be a, you know, the deadline will be averted. Uh, but at this point, I do feel like we're kind of moving past that, even to the point, as we, I was discussing earlier, of people saying, hey, that could be bad news. Either it's a sell on the news or it's now the tre Treasury is going to have to go out and raise a ton of debt. And Keep is that hearing, okay? I've been hearing that more and more. It's, I'm sure you have as absolutely. well as for those who are looking at it as a negative no matter what. It's for, it's for people who feel as if the whole thing is just a bathtub and you're just tracking the water coming in and out of the bathtub uh, as opposed to humans reacting to uh, news and what the economic outlook is shaping up as. So uh, it all matters. That's what I always say. Like, okay. it, it's all everything all yeah. the time. Yes, it is. Uh, all right. And uh, I will see you later right. on Closing Bell. That's Mike Santoli, of course, back with us. Uh, later on this afternoon. Up next, the big headline that has Netflix rallying today. We will reveal that next. Netflix rallying big time today. Take a look at that. Better than 9%. The company saying its ad-supported subscription tier is more than 5 million monthly active users worldwide. Josh Brown, I go to you on this first. You previously owned this stock. Uh, sold it, I don't know, yeah. six months, eight months ago. I think what's notable here is that they also said um, one out of four new plans are in the ad-supported tier. So, you know, bringing on 5 million paying customers who are willing to watch advertising in the first six months is like, I think, I don't know what the expectations were, but I feel like that's really, really promising. And maybe it's cannibalizing from some of the people that were paying a full price plan. Maybe they traded down, but so what? It's not churn. It's not people leaving like what Disney Plus has going on. So the, the key thing here is if you throw up a, a, a two-year chart, let's say, this is now round-tripped, um, that huge blow-up from April of 2022, that huge gap down from like 400 to 175. It's come all the way back and regained everything it lost. And I think that's a really nice end to the story. Yeah. All right. Uh, final trades are next. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. I hope you'll join me, Liz Young and Joe T. Funstrat's Mark Newton, the technician there, is going to be with us. He has a new bullish note out. I'll tell you exactly what he is bullish about and where he thinks the next breakout is about to happen. Don't want you to miss that. Of course, let's do some final trades. Josh Brown, why don't you go first? So I don't currently own Micron, but this is a stock that is a breakout in progress, taking out overhead resistance dating back to November of 2022. 50-day crossed above the 200-day is now rising, acted as support last week. I think the stock has legs. I could picture it getting much higher from here. Farmer. Jim Labenthal. <laughs> Thank you, Judge. NXP Semiconductor. This is a semiconductor company that specializes in automotive uh, end use as well as Internet of Things. Uh, this is a stock where the estimates are going up based on economic activity. Everybody knows how I feel about it. The valuation is quite compelling. The fundamentals are strong, as I just said. NXP Semiconductor. Jenny. From our advertising. So these are the big billboards that you see everywhere, the electronic ones, the old school ones. It's an amazingly well-run business. They reported earnings a week and change ago. They were pretty stable, down a smidge, but mostly very stable. You get a 5.3% yield. And in the advertising space, it doesn't get more economic 
um, insensitive than this. Okay. Throw up shares of Apple, guys, if we could, before we uh, get out of here. We have about 30 seconds left. I show you that because I'm looking at a headline right now that says Apple introducing the chat GPT app for iOS. Uh, and that stock, you know, hasn't gotten talked about a ton in the whole AI ramp. It's been all about it. Alphabet and Microsoft and NVIDIA. But those shares are north of 174. 52-week high is 176. So it's at a nice move. Uh, you know about the year-to-date move as well. We'll talk more about that hopefully when I see you on Closing Bell in just a little bit, a couple hours from now. That does it for us here. I'll see you then. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.